Hey, this is Pastor Brian. I want to welcome you to the Reach Church Podcast. We hope this message helps and encourages you wherever you are in life and brings you closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy the message. Man, I, I was praying for weeks and weeks about this sermon and literally nothing would come to me. It was just, I was like, oh, I could preach on worship because it's what I do. And I've never really broken that down before. And then I was like, no, I'm going to preach on this. And then I was like, you just preached on that. I was like, oh, then I'm going to do this. And then I, I, I had something and I was ready and God was like, no, that's for your podcast. And I was like, oh my gosh, what, you know. And so finally he gave me what I'm going to Attempt to minister to you today. And when I say attempt, it's because this is very still raw in my own life. I, I have always loved to preach sermons once I'm completely on the other side of things. Um, but where's the authenticity and genuineness in that? So um, this is still something that God is revealing and speaking to me still to this day. So I pray that even though I don't have the full revelation of it all. Holy Spirit knows exactly what you need to hear today. Okay, so if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, God must really trust you. And then I want you to look to your neighbor because most of you are not taking notes and look at them and say, God must really trust you. Because he's gonna trust you to remember this sermon even though you're not gonna write down one thing. Okay, good job. All right, so (laughs) I'm messing with you, kind of. You should take notes. All right, Genesis chapter 22, (laughs) verse one. And I am the healed of the Lord, amen? Genesis 22, and I'm gonna start at verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham. I could preach for an entire 42 minutes just on that, after these things. We read the Bible so quickly and understanding God is making a very clear point before we even get to what's gonna happen and take place in this story, God is making us aware that he did not bring Abraham to this point till after all those other things. See, there's places in our life and and things that we're going to have to face and sometimes it's after some other things we've conquered. God must really trust you. I don't know about you, but I always grew up wanting to be in ministry. Um, I was saved when I was three, filled with the Holy Spirit at three and a half, dunked every stuffed animal doll I owned in the bathtub. My mom was thrilled with that. She was a single mom at the time, so she didn't have a lot of money, and I ruined every one of them. But I said, at least they're going to heaven. And... Um, so then my mom married my, my stepdad, but he was my dad when I was five years old, Angelo Metropolis, and he was full of faith and just a preacher of all preachers, and I wanted to be just like him. He would get so excited. He would stand on the chairs, God is a God of the now. He will heal you now. You do not have to wait. And I would just, wow, I wanted an accent because I thought this is just doesn't, ha. You know, I would hear Darlene check, and it was like, the Spirit of God is in this place. And I'm like, people would worship if I talked like that. I just, could I switch it, or is it too late now? No. So I grew up with this passionate, passionate father and and mother who are in full-time ministry, and so that's all I knew. And so I would preach on top of my dad's van. I got a PA system for Christmas when I was six years old so that I could preach outside to the neighbors. Our neighbors loved us. We lived in a travel trailer. And I'd say, I see you there peeking through that window. I know you want Jesus. Come out here to the, to the picnic table and I'll lay hands on you. That is my childhood. So yes, I have been this weird for this long. 
And I just loved God. So I grew up wanting to be in ministry. So one of the first things I wanted to do was to be in youth ministry. I could serve as a youth leader at a certain age. And I was like, this is great. And they did these things called leadership training. Well, I love this stuff because in school, when I did go to school for a couple years, I would always get awarded like leadership abilities, which really meant she's really bossy, but the teacher couldn't say that. They'd be like, they gave me the fruit of the spirit of determination. I know you're all scratching your head. Where is it? I don't know either. It was a Christian school. They gave me an award for something. That I was like, that ain't, that ain't one of the fruit of the spirit. She was like, don't talk to me. I was like, I know the word. So I got a demerit for arguing, but I went home. My mom's like, you are correct. I was like, she couldn't pick one of the fruits of the spirit. Like there's none of them that describe me. It's okay. So I, I was excited for this leadership training and, and it wasn't normal leadership training. Back in the day, they did these, these weird leadership training where they would take us out into the woods. It's okay, I'm not going somewhere weird. And so they would take us out into the woods and we would come up to this spider web that was in between two trees. And it was like, you've got to get your whole team across there, but you can't touch the ground. And you've got to, so you're sitting here, you're trying to figure out, well, I speak up and I'm like, oh, I know how we can do this. And they're like, oh, sorry. One of the pygmy tribe members that are here in the woods have just hit you with an arrow and you've lost your ability to speak. This happened to me at every course we would go to because I'd be the first one to talk. And they're like, no, which was awesome because it taught us that some of the quietest ones in the group actually had the best idea. But they wouldn't speak up because people like us were like, we've got this. We can do this. We're doing it my way. And so then we came up to this thing called the trust fall. How many of you have done a trust fall? How many of you have been dropped in a trust fall? How many of you wait a little bit more than you do now so you, you kind of understand why they dropped you? No? Okay. And so... I mean, I'm thinking as a leader, you should have known the people that were there that had the capacity to catch the people, but that's okay. That's all right. I fell underneath someone to make sure they didn't fall, but that's all right. I was kind. They were not. And so we did a trust fall where, if you don't know what a trust fall is, it's where you stand here. I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't looking at you, Hannah. I know you got me, but I ain't, I ain't trusting you to catch me on a trust fall. I ain't doing no trust falls no more. And so you, you lock your hands and you just, you go back and you trust that the people down there can catch you. And I feel like that's sometimes how we feel with God. It's like God's telling us to step out in faith. God's telling us, okay, this is the thing you got to do. And you're like, okay, all right. And I'm telling you what, we had somebody take, I think it was 22 minutes to ever just trust us. And this was the tiniest person in the group. I, I was, at one point I said, you better jump. Like, we are hungry, and I don't know how many more pygmy tribe members are out here, and I'm going to get shot with some invisible arrow, but we got to eat. So that just gave them the determination they needed to jump, you know. But I think we get in these, in these situations with God, and, you know, thank God he's not like us humans where he's pushing us and he's pushy. But we come up to this place where it's going to feel like I'm going to have to take a step, but it actually feels like that I'm falling. And so I want to pick back up in this story in Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, he said, here, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham, so much better than us, rose early in the morning. I mean, if God's telling me I'm killing my child, I think that's the morning I'm sleeping in. Giving God a little bit more time to maybe change his mind. Like, let's just see how this goes. <laughs> but no, early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. 
He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. Abraham had this, this belief in God that I think so many of us, when we run to Genesis 22 and we start to read that, we're like, oh yeah, I want to be there. But you have to remember what I told you in the very beginning of this, after all these things. Abraham has already, if you know his story, had already been obedient to God to leave the land he was familiar with. Then him and his wife almost get killed and he comes up with a bright idea to give his wife to Pharaoh and say, just say you're my sister. She apparently didn't have a personality like mine and agreed to that. <laughs> so if you're one of those, I, just, I think you just need to pray a little bit more, okay, that you stand up and go, I don't, I don't think this sounds like a great idea. Because what you don't realize that you accept in your own life, you continue to accept that because if you read further down, when God comes and says, I'm promising you a son, the same way that Abraham gave her up, she gives someone to him and and doesn't put herself in the place she should. Because a lot of times when you have things done to you, you return the favor without realizing it. Because you've not dealt with the pain of what it felt like to be pushed and rejected And she did the same thing with the promise of God. So they're walking through all these things. Then God says, I promise you, you're going to have a child. He has a child, but it's not the one that God, God's like, that's, that's not how I wanted it produced. So then it says, after all these things, because then the promise of God is fulfilled. We know angels show up, Sarah laughs, they change her name. Then she apologizes for laughing. She just thinks, I'm so old, I can't believe I'm going to have a child. They believe they have a child. And now after the promise, after all these things, God says, Abraham, this is what I need you to do. Because I believe I have to be tested in order to be trusted. What is... What does that look like? You know, the Bible tells us we're going to be tested, but I think every time we're tested, we take authority over the devil, if I'm honest. Just me? Okay, so a lot of times when, the, when I'm going through something, I'm just assuming it's the enemy coming after me. Why is that? One of it is, statistically, 84% of church-going Christians do not read their Bible on a weekly basis. Once a week. I ain't even talking about daily at this point. 84%. So I'm telling you, in this auditorium, maybe only 16% of the people actually read their Bible on a weekly basis. The statistics drops dramatically on daily. You will not trust someone you do not know. So here you are, man, we, we, we come into service, and man, I want to live by faith, and I want to live by, and, and, and just know that when he says it, yeah, but you don't know him, so you don't trust him. Because it wasn't until after all these things is when God showed up. And I don't know about you, but I want God to be able to trust me. I know that I have his love, but I want his trust. See, love is unconditional. Trust has to be earned. See, we read this word and it is beautiful, but this word of God, there are so many things that show us the character and the nature of who God is. And when you read stories, you've got to know that every word is put there on purpose after all these things, because we're jumping and I want faith like this. And God's saying, yeah, he didn't get tested to that degree till he passed all the other ones. 
because he earned my trust. He earned something. I have to be tested in order to be trusted. And when we look in this, when we look in this story, never for a moment is there an indication that Abraham ever even wavered for a moment. Now, before these things, he wavered. There's a different level of trust that God begins to give you when he knows your faith isn't wavering. Doesn't mean you don't wonder. I, I, am, I am not proposing that as he was walking up that mountain, he wasn't like, I'm really not sure what's going on here. Questions don't bother God. Disobedience is what hinders us from receiving what God has for us. When he speaks, you better listen. When he asks you to do something, you better listen. And we, we, we've done, a, we've done a, a bad job even with our, our children because we live in this society now. See, when I grow up, and I'm not saying this is right either, when I grew up, it was because I said so. Now, I'll give you a little bit of an explanation, but I'm not going into 18 minutes worth of explaining to you why I told you to clean your room. I'm just gonna get in the bed. I don't care. You're gonna get in that bed the rest of your life. And I grip my teeth and I gotta pray about that because it does not look holy and my babies do not like it. But it just comes out of me and I have to go, Jesus, help me. I do not care that you are getting back in that tonight. For the rest of the day, you're gonna see a nice bed made. And we, we, we have gotten into this where we are coddling certain behaviors and then we go to God and expect God to tell us. And sometimes God can't explain to us what he's asking. We just have to do it. God didn't have time to explain to Abraham because that was a part of the test. I just need you to trust me. I told you what to do. I told you what to get. Go and do it. But we want explanations. We want to weigh, weigh the battle. Let me weigh the options. I listen to God in this. I don't. If I do this, will he be okay with me? You know, I didn't really listen to him Friday night, but Sunday I'll be back at worship. So maybe I can like ease back into the okayness with God. And, it, and it's shocking to me as a pastor, what I see happen a lot is you won't see people for weeks and weeks and weeks, all hell breaks loose and they're right here. Oh, well now you need him. God wants you to want him. See, I, I get, there are people that need me in their life, but the people that want me in their life, those are the ones that mean the most. Because they're saying beyond all this, beyond what you can do or what you can say, everything, I just, you as a person, and God's saying, I just want to be wanted for who I am, not for what I can do for you, but who I am, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one that built this whole earth for you. And here's what's so interesting about what God has to do, and I love this, N.T. Wright, it's a theologian, I love him, he says this, God's commitment to giving us freedom to choose means he will have to accommodate his plan based on our actions. Who? Based on my action, God has to rearrange and accommodate things because of my lack of obedience at times, which I love, that's where grace comes in, he goes, okay, she'll get it over here. There's times that God's like, I need you to say this. I need, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. And I have looked back that if I had not been obedient, I don't know what would have happened. There are times that I've not even known and I have felt my body move me to go somewhere. I have felt myself go and it's like God said, you cannot stay behind this door. You have to walk. And I don't have an answer to why. I just know it's a command and I have to be obedient. And that's where Abraham was. And we read these stories and these heroes of our faith 
but yet we don't do what it's going to be required to experience it, but we come to church and our pastors preach and they tell us this is what it is and this is what you can have. And then all of a sudden we have taught people, you get saved, everything's great. And you didn't tell them that all hell was gonna break loose the moment they accepted Jesus into their heart. They experience something that's beautiful, but then they know you signed up for something. Man, you signed up for a fight. And so where did I even come up with this title? I was sitting. My husband's been meeting with a counselor for over, I think, six or seven years. Precious, precious man of God. And when we decided to be lead pastors, Brian said, I want to meet with somebody on a monthly basis because I want to make sure that I'm good on on all ends, spiritually, emotionally, all those things. And I asked him one time, do you think I could sit down with him? Because I just, man, there's just stuff. I feel like I've got this, this hurdle to get over. There's, there's shame from my past and there's frustration of why I've walked through what I have because I sometimes think God owes me a little bit more because of what I've been through. Nobody else does that? Okay, cool. So it's me. And uh, welcome to Reach Church, your pastors. And, uh, and I'm just like, God, you know, look what I've done. And I was sitting in there and I was talking through some of the different traumas in my life of the fact of before I could even speak a word, I was rejected when my father left. It's this, that planted a seed of rejection in my heart, a seed of rejection that would then sprout into seeds of insecurity. And it would just follow me in friendships over and over and over again. Have you ever been a maid of honor in a wedding in an hour before the wedding being told you're no longer doing that? No, but I have. Not having an explanation, not understanding why. There wasn't an argument. There was a, this is a person I got saved. I poured my life into. Was there at the hospital when my littlest baby sister, which it's her birthday today. Happy birthday, Tina. I love you. She was there when I went up to the hospital to meet her for the first time. And at the wedding, an hour before, and I'm still supposed to sing. She says, oh, I'm going to let so-and-so go ahead and do that. So I didn't have time to process and cry in that moment. I just had to be strong. So I lived a life just being strong. Having people leave, just be strong. Having people reject, just be strong. So when I first stepped into youth pastoring and pastoring, I, just, I, I would just throw everything I would do into the youth kids and just love them and love them. And then all of a sudden there were leaders that were not leading right and they began to attack and, and, and they would begin to do things. And, I, and I, I served, my first youth pastor that I served and I thought, man, this is awesome. We took the youth ministry from 50 kids to 850 on a weekly basis. And I was writing the dramas and I was leading the worship. And I felt like God was gonna do something great in me. And he said, do you mind if I meet with you? I said, I would love to. And he said, are you really sure you're called to youth ministry? And there he just began to put me down. And I thought, my God, what is happening? I remember walking out of that building. This is the person I had served for three and a half years faithfully. Would be up at two o'clock in the morning writing dramas for his sermon. And I was not paid $1 in three and a half years. And I remember walking out of this building. I can, I can tell you the stairs. I could show you in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And God said, it doesn't matter if anybody else that believes in you, I believe in you. And I had to hold fast to that. And I dealt with politics in church. And I told God, 
four months before I met Brian, I'm letting you know, God, I will never work on a church staff ever again in the history of my life. I will serve you with everything, but I will never be on staff. He apparently agreed. He just said, you're just going to be the lead pastor. You're just not going to be the staff. So he had a, I, there was a loophole somewhere where I was asking for an agreement. But in that moment, you know what? God is so gracious. He didn't even say a thing. He just hugged me. Like I could feel him. And so I thought that's where we had an agreement. You know, because it was like, without a word, I know you, oh, man, you get it. You're just going to let me run my own ministry. This is great. God's like, no, you have no idea what you're going to face, but I'm just going to hug you right now because I can't even show you or tell you because you'd be terrified and you'd run. <laughs> then we stepped in and I, I met Brian and man, it was just love at first sight for sure. He preached a message, awake, awake, oh sleeper. And I was awake. I'll tell you what, I was awoken. I was like, Jesus, this man, hallelujah. I was leading worship. We were ministering together. And I was like, you feel this? I mean, this whoa. And then I go and pray and say, Jesus, it's about the kids. It's about the kids. It's not about me getting a man, but woo, Jesus, please. And so I, I, woo, I was just, baby, you know, you just, everything in that. And so I was just, just smitten. And he preached a sermon. He brought a boat out on the stage. He got in the boat. He started getting excited. I have the sermon. I have his sermon actually in my office because it just means so much to me. And I just thought, this is what I've waited and prayed for. Six months later, we were married because I talked him into it and it was incredible. Um, and so <laughs> I was so pizzazzy. And so I was like, look what we can do. And so, no. And so we got married and man, we, we were youth pastors in this building and Man, we just gave everything to God and we, we ministered and we poured into kids and, and you will see people like Hannah who were here when she was 15 years old and we're not gonna talk about how old she is now because it talks about how old I am and Matt and we've got Dustin and we have Ryan and Tina and all these people that were in our youth ministry. You will see pockets of couples. We've married eight couples out of our youth ministry and they have babies, but the majority of them are still with us and serving us and it's beautiful. But then there was this, this moment that we walked through a church implosion is the best way I'm going to describe it. And we were getting, people were calling us and saying, man, if y'all just want to jump ship, we can, man, we're Louisiana, I'm pretty sure we'll offer you guys a job. Tulsa will offer you guys a job. Um, okay, we, you can talk here to this pastor. I'm pretty sure he's heard about you guys. And, you know, and, and they were bigger. And it was like, man, let's just go somewhere. We got an umbrella safety that we're not here and getting. And God said, mm -mm, I'm, I've called you to Centerton. I'm like, yeah, but this boat's sinking. Like, I don't know if you know. <laughs> Like, were you at that meeting? <laughs> it's, it's not going well. <laughs> and I'm not doing well either. So uh, I, I need you, you know, you read those scriptures like, rescue me. I mean, that's why I was like, isn't, and God's like, no. He said, faith makes a fool of what makes sense. And I thought, okay, God, like, you just want us to do this. And as I'm sitting here and I'm talking to the counselor and I'm sharing all these things, he looks at me, he goes, man. And I'm thinking he's about to say, Ooh, you've been through something. Or, whoa, man, I can't believe. He goes, man, God really trusts you. I said, I'm sorry. He said, God must really, really trust you. And all of a sudden, my eyes begin to fill up with tears. And I begin to just be overwhelmed with the fact of everything I've walked through God trusted me that I could get through that and still serve him, still love people with everything inside of me. Man, I'm not perfect, but I will tell you what, I will live 
my days pouring out every ounce, every drop of who I am for what God has called us to do. I will not waver. I will question. I will get confused. I will get frustrated. But at the end of the day, my heart is full of so much love. And as you're sitting in this service today, I want you to ask yourself a question. Could it have been the life that you've lived, the things that you've gone through, the hell that you've had to work through? Could it just possibly be that God really trusts you? See, I think we look at things from such a skewed perspective instead of the fact that maybe God sees a strength in you you don't see. Maybe God sees a purpose in you you've not yet fulfilled. Maybe God understands the bigger picture because he wrote your story from the end to the beginning. But I will tell you that your highest obedience will be, a, will be one that is in a place of solidarity. It will be of solitude. Because every story I told you about, most of those, 85 to 90% were me in a bathroom or in a closet or in my bedroom crying by myself. By myself, but with him. And that's in this scripture we see, verse four, and on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, I want you to stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again. This moment was going to be a solitary one. Abraham didn't get to take his henchmen with him to help him figure out, all right, guys, this is, I can't talk to Isaac about this because I'm actually supposed to kill him and I think this might cause some trauma for his life. So, Right now, we're just kind of, I'm doing everything I can not to discuss what we're doing. No, it was a solitary one for both of them. Kids are smart. Isaac was fully aware there was nothing else to sacrifice at this point, and there were two people walking up a mountain. Your greatest place of growing in trust for God is going to be a solitary one. It's going to have moments where you don't understand what's happening. And you've got to call on God Almighty. And you've got to ask him to come and speak in the places that are dark. It was only when I would ask God, I need you. This is my verbiage. I say it to the closest people in my life and I say it to God. I need you to speak into this. I need you to bring some clarity to this. And I'll never forget that when we were walking through what we walked through and we stayed and we just trusted the Lord that the lights would stay on, when we did other things to make money because we weren't sure how much could be carried at that point. Most people don't know that my husband on his two days off were mowing lawns just so that we as a family could be taken care of. We were living in a metal building with two of my sisters, a, what was she, two-month-old baby in a 1,200-square-foot metal building when we were like, okay, God, we're going to do what you ask us to do here. We're going to trust you. Which means some things for us were put on the side, but it didn't matter. Those were some of the happiest times I've ever had in my life. 
except when Tina wanted to go to sleep at nighttime and the baby didn't want to sleep. <laughs> that was the only bad time because everybody's room is right there and 1,200 square feet, everybody's right there and you've, you've got a bunch of people living in the house and you've got a baby and our babies just the sleeping thing just kind of eluded them for a little bit from in the beginning. Now they're phenomenal. They do 12, 13 hours. It's glorious, but before then they didn't. But there were adjustments and things that had to be made in order to do what God, it's sometimes when God asks you to do something, it's not a red carpet experience. It's not just, oh, it's obvious where you're to walk, but there's no red carpet. There is, how about you just continue to be faithful? And so I used to get into this thing, which we're going to call what it is, pride. God, look at what I've done for you. Why, why couldn't, you know, we had a journey. We talk about it a lot because it's our story. Five years of trying to get pregnant. Do you know the majority of my prayers was, I can't believe this is happening to me. Do you know why it probably took so long? Because that was the majority of my prayers. Why has this happened to me? Why would it not happen to me? See, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I face a challenge to birth world changers into the world? Why wouldn't I face a challenge? Because God knew also that we were going to adopt. And when that baby was going to be born, he knew that date. He knew our baby's birthday, knew how far apart they should be. So God just had a plan. He also knew that my dad was going to die. And had we had a baby, we might have not taken both of my sisters in who needed to live with us for six years. God knew what was going on before I did. So when he asked you to go up a mountain, go up the mountain. When he asked you to sacrifice something, sacrifice it. When he asked you just to listen and to trust him, trust him. You have his love, but I'm telling you what I want to earn is trust. Because when Abraham, when you read in this, after all these things, that's when you see things begin to shift. Abraham didn't have an expectation for God. He just had a knowing that God would come through. The problem with us as believers and church people is we do this thing called comparison. So when we see how something happens for somebody else, we put that expectation that when we're praying that prayer, God's going to come through like that expectations should not be put on God. A knowing he'll come through is all he needs because he's gonna do it different for you because it's not just about you, it's about somebody else and how he wants to highlight that to other people is gonna look different than how he does it for you. But when we put expectations, we limit our God. We hear people say that, don't limit God, but we limit him all the time due to the expectations. I thought as a worship leader, because I was so, wow, that everybody in my church would be, wow, they're not. I'm not, that's nothing, I'm just saying not everybody's personality wants to just be crazy and sweat profusely why they worship the Lord. To me, if, I, if my shirt's not soaked in the back, I didn't give it all I got. That's just me. But not everybody's gonna worship that way, but I had an expectation if I was a good worship leader, that's how everybody would do, and God said, yeah, because it was all about you. He said, I don't need you. I, I don't need you to make other people worship a certain way. I just need you to worship me. You just happen to do it with a mic, but that doesn't give you a right to have an expectation that you are only going to feel good as a worship leader based on how the people in the audience respond. But we do. As preachers, ministers, it's like, oh, and yes, we want you to engage. We want, if we're needing something, it's because we know that there's more, there's more in us and only you can draw it out with anointing when we're ministering. If, there, if I feel the presence of God in the room, I know, man, man, if we could just shift right here, I could feel, because I, I know I can only do so much but I know what my responsibility is. Abraham understood his responsibility. It was, you just obey God. Verse six, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, 
my father. And he said, here am I, son. He said, behold, the fire, the wood. See, now he's finally talking. He's been waiting to ask the question because I love that he's given, we got this and this and this. (laughs) Behold, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. What did Abraham believe in that moment? Abraham believed that somehow, some way, Isaac was coming back down with him. He had an understanding of God to know that God is a good God. And I don't know how this is all gonna transpire, but he's gonna do it. When we read on the story, we know angel peers, do not kill him, all this stuff. And man, I've read this story hundreds of times. I'm like, I love this story. It's so great. And he trusted him and I want to trust him like that. And God said, you know, that takes a lot of trust. I'm like, oh yeah, I know. He said, no, I had to trust him that he wouldn't kill him. I said, what? He said, you always just look at faith for the beginning part of this story. I had to trust him that he actually wouldn't kill him. That he actually would hear and see what I needed, that he would see the ram in the thicket and believe and, and, and see an angel and not convince. He said, you understand, I had to trust even in the end result. I had to put my trust in him. So there is something going on in both ends of the spectrum. Not only do I want to earn God's trust, God is wanting to be able to trust me. So when I'm walking through things, when I'm going through things, I'm understanding that there's an exchange happening where trust is being given back and forth. Oh man, she could handle a little bit more. Man, did you see how she responded that time? She didn't lose her mind. That's awesome. She didn't yell. Yeah, these are big things for me, people, okay? And so it's like, wow, okay, so we can give her a little bit more. Oh, she didn't grit her teeth today. That's a win. I know, I'm sorry. This is who pastors you. And so I'm like just God, and all of a sudden there's this exchange where he says, okay, I can give you a little bit more. And my favorite verse, Genesis 22, 17, is this. I will surely bless you. This is after everything that's taken place. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring will possess the gates of his enemies. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Your obedience will win battles that you will never face. Your obedience will win battles that you will never face. What do I mean? You are fighting things that your kids will face and you will not. But they'll win them, but they're not fights you'll ever see. But your obedience causes that. Why? How do I know that? Scripturally, he just said, your offspring will be given the gates of their enemies. Gates back then is what protected people from getting into a city. God's saying, not only will you get in the city, I'm gonna hand you the gate. I'm gonna hand you the very thing that that, the the enemy thought he had to protect himself. What is God saying to you? I'm gonna hand you the gate from the enemy where he thinks he has an end with you, with fear, with anxiety, with lust, with all these things. I'm going to hand that gate to you. Not only will you conquer it, but that gate will even be passed on to your children and their children and their children and their children but it's based on your obedience man I have God's unconditional love but I want his trust I want him to trust me because I'm not living my life just for myself my obedience is connected to somebody else's freedom 
My obedience to do what God has asked us to do extends far beyond. And you could say, well, yeah, because you've, you have a pulpit ministry. That doesn't matter. Us being on a pulpit doesn't change. Yes, there might be things that we have more influence on, but so do you. You have influence in areas you don't know. You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know who you're going to minister to. You don't know who you're going to speak to. You don't know what God's going to do. But it's in your obedience. Man, church, we, we've got to know that we want his trust. Man, I, I didn't have to do anything to earn his love. But there are some steps to get his trust. And listen, I don't want to walk up to heaven, experience and see the fullness of everything and be like, oh man, I could have had a little bit more. Man, if I had just gotten a little bit of that pride out of the way, I could have, man, I could have dug in worship a little bit more, but I kept, I kept making it about me. Man, if I would have leaned in a little bit more this way, I could have experienced heaven this way. Man, if I would have trusted a little bit more. Because there's things in my life that I had shut down and said, no, I will never have that. And because God began to open my heart and said, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And I'm like, I mean, and there's times, church, I'm like, I think so. I mean, let's just be honest. Can we just be real? Sometimes we're like, ooh, I think so. And I did. That's how I said it. Man, God, I think so. Because God has had us walk. When we, when we adopted beautiful Anaya, a lot of you might not know this, she was born on a Thursday. We were planning to bring her to church that Sunday and show her to everybody. And we got a phone call. Hey, the birth mom might be changing her mind. Well, one, I can't pray against that. I mean, church, look at me. How you pray? How you pray when you get that phone call? God, you say whatever part we're supposed to play in this baby's life, let it be. And if it was just to hold and love on her for three or four days, let it be. But God, if she's called to be ours, let it be. Church, I couldn't even show up that Sunday because I knew, I mean, I cry, but I knew I was like really crying. So I knew if I was up here leading worship, people would be like, what's happening? Something happened to Pastor Brian. You know, it would just be like, what is going on? And so I stayed home and I'll never forget it. I was holding Anaya and the worship team began to worship. I mean, she's four days old at this point, and I have a picture of it, and she just lifts her hands to the Lord. And I just was like, oh, that's my baby. That's my baby. And there was just a settling. And then Monday they called like it was no big deal. They're like, oh, that was just a moment. Everything's great. I'm like, oh, my gosh, okay. (laughs) And you could have called back and said that a little bit earlier. I mean, Friday night, yeah, I mean, freaking out, you know. And I look at those moments and say, man, God trusts me in that moment. But what did he learn from me? He learned that, not only did he learn it, I learned it, that there was a part of me that was able to look for her well-being over what I wanted. And God said, this is what having children is about. You steward them. You don't own them. As a church, we don't own you. We steward you. We pastor you. We don't own you. You're not our people. You're our people like in, oh man, I love you. You're our people. But you're not things to own and you're things to steward and to love and to do it well and we're not perfect we're going to miss it we're going to miss the mark we're going to mess up but I promise you there are not two other people that love a church more deeply than we do I cry more on a weekly basis for you people than it's probably normal I walk into sisterhood and I tear up because I know how hard certain things are I just want you to just Today, if you take away anything, God just really trusts you. You haven't went through things 
I didn't face a miscarriage because he wasn't happy with me. I didn't, I didn't face a miscarriage because, man, I, I still saw him as a good father. And where, where he came in is just showed me a different picture of the kingdom, but he just trusted me. That what the enemy meant for good, he knew I can trust her to know that I'll show her a picture in eternity that that baby's not gone. And that will settle her heart. See, God trusted me in these moments. And that's what I'm saying. God's not doing the bad. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to give life and abundantly. What I'm saying is God trusts you in what the enemy tries to steal, kill, and destroy. That at the end, you're going to trust that he's still good. In the end, you're going to know that he still loves you. And he's for you. And he's not against you. And he trusts you. He trusts you. He trusts you. Man, and I just, I, I just want to pray. I want us to stand to our feet and I want us just to look at our stories maybe a little differently, the things that we face maybe just a little bit differently and know beyond all those things that God really, really trusts you. God, I thank you that you're in this room today. Holy Spirit, I ask you that when you brought this message to me and you begin to speak to me and you begin to show me things that God, I just saw instead of looking from a place of pity, looking from a place of, I can't believe these things happen to me, I started to smile and realize you really trust me. You trust me with my spouse. You trust me with my kids. You trust me with my friends. You trust me with this church. You trust me with the people that I'm pouring into. God, you trust me. But ultimately, you just trust me in my relationship with you. And God, I thank you that every person in the room with the sound of my voice knows, listening online knows, you just trust them. But God, I thank you that we dig a little deeper, God, so that at the end of our days, we can say, and after all these things, that God could bring us to a place to trust us with something big, trust us with something that he knew we would heed and be obedient to. So God, I thank you for this room full of people that have faced hell, that have faced diagnosis, that have faced addictions, that have faced issues, that have faced the demonic realm, that have faced things that we can't even speak of, that have gone through things that should have taken other people out. But God, at the end of the day, they're still breathing. At the end of the day, God, you are still speaking. You are still moving and you are still strengthening them with your strength because it's in our weakness that your strength is made great through us. So God, I thank you. Not only can you trust us in the beginning to be obedient, but you can trust us at the very end to do what you'd say. God, I thank you that we will work on building our trust with you, to lean into you. God, to trust you, lean not into our own understanding, but in all our ways to acknowledge you and you will direct our path. And God, sometimes our path is gonna take us up a mountain where we got a lot of questions. We got a lot of things we're dealing with, but God, at the end of the day, you come through. You always do. I don't have to know how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. I just have to trust that it is going to happen. And I lean into that. And I feel like there's there's people in here that, man, you you're in, in your business realm, there's just a lot of questions. And I feel like the Spirit of God is saying, I need you to lean in and I need you to trust me. The things I told you in the beginning, do it. The things I spoke to you at the first, do it. Don't walk away from that. Do not veer from that. God trusts you and in turn begin to trust him. Man, if you're in this place this morning and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, either you've never done so before or you've asked Jesus in your heart, but you've kind of walked away. He's not Lord of your life. He's just a part of your life. Man, you don't earn trust with someone when they're just barely someone you know. It's who you know is who you trust. 
And we don't wanna miss an opportunity online or here for you to accept and make Jesus the ultimate Lord of your life. If that's you this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'll raise your hand so that we can see you because we wanna come in agreement with you. Thank you for that hand in the back. Thank you for that hand and that we can pray with you because this is the most important decision you will ever make. If you will say this prayer with me, dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me as white as snow. Come and do what only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, say amen in this house, church. Come on, he's a good God. Amen.